Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Fast talk. Street talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid talk. Hot talk. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Nationwide. By your side. Talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, It's not a very nice day outside. It's raining, uh, it's grey, there's a very low cloud ceiling, uh, just like every July, right? Here in Britain, uh, we're used to having all sorts of different kinds of weather. Uh, But what we're not used to uh, is having all kinds of different uh, narratives being thrown at us by the BBC, who are intent on telling us that the world uh, is on fire. Uh, just because there's a couple of wildfires blazing over in roads, uh, over in parts of Greece, uh, which people have more than likely set as arson, uh, that's not necessarily proof of anything. Uh, we'll be fighting this fight for a good long time, I can assure you, uh, because up in Newcastle, uh, they're getting weather as low as 9 degrees, I have to tell you. Uh, here in London today, it's around about 17 degrees. Uh, in other parts of the country, uh, it's in the low teens, 12, 13 degrees. Uh, not really very hot, considering this time last year, it was about 40 in London, right? Um, and apparently that was going to be the way it was going to be for the rest of time. Well, it turns out that actually wasn't the way it was going to be for the rest of time. We're talking to Anne Whittacombe uh, this morning, former MEP, of course. Uh, she's a woman who knows a thing or two about historical temperatures because, of course, what we were told uh, in previous years uh, was that temperatures go up, temperatures go down. Uh, but what we were also told is that what we need to do is go after our net zero policies because that is the only way to save the planet. Well, what the Conservatives have discovered over the course of last week's by-elections is that actually, uh, if you say you're not going to uh, pursue net zero policies, you might actually win the odd election. Interesting, right? 0344 499 1000. We're going to talk as well about the building programme that Michael Gove wants to see put into place in this country. Uh, They want to build not only uh, in the countryside, but they want to also build in the cities. They say you should be able to take over shops and make them into residences. You should be able to take over takeaway joints and make them into residences. Really? I don't think the cities need any more people in them, to be honest. I think the countryside possibly could fill a few more millions, but we really don't need any more people living in the cities of this country. They're already limit up. They're already full, aren't they? 0344 499 1000. Also, uh, we'll continue to talk about the banking scandal, which is still rumbling on. Nigel Farage exposed them all um, a couple of weeks ago, and still there is no apology from the BBC. Still, uh, we're finding out more and more banks are now uh, involved in cancelling people's accounts without 
giving any particular reason for it. But what we can tell you is that Coots cancelled Nigel Farage's bank account because they didn't like his politics. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Peter Hitchens will be here in the next hour as well. Lots to do, uh, lots to talk about. Let us get it on. Welcome to the Independent Republican Mike Graham and welcome to the start of yet another week. We are unbelievably heading towards August. It's Monday the 24th of July. Uh, in a week's time we will be on the cusp uh, of the summer of months and it will be probably still pretty miserable out there. But let's talk to Anne Whittacombe, a woman who always puts a smile on everybody's face. Anne, a very good morning to you. Good morning to you. Nice to see you in this rather dreary summer that we're having. Um, sometimes I rather wish I was actually in a, a hotter climb where I was getting up in the morning and thinking, how am I going to stay cool today? Uh, certainly not what we have to do at the moment. But meanwhile, uh, net zero and the love and the quest for net zero continues. This government is starting to make noises that they might have got that wrong. But they surely must now see and learn the lesson of Uxbridge, mustn't they? Uh, indeed. And, you know, they've been very, very slow in learning that lesson. Now, uh, for example, Reform UK um, have for a long time said that the net zero target is unrealistic, yeah. unnecessary. Uh, and the Tories are just now catching up. They've held, uh, uh, they held Uxbridge against all the odds simply because uh, of Euless. Uh So they are at last, I think, facing some evidence that the electorate's had enough now. You know, the problem is this. Nobody's going to argue that we don't need to curate the, the planet properly. Nobody's going to argue that Earth is in one of its periodic spells of uh, warming. Nobody's going to argue that at all. And if we can do anything about it in terms of, of restraint with what we use and how we use it, fair enough. But there is such a thing as proportionality. Of course. And what the electorate is now facing, and when we talk about the electorate, we're talking about Ordinary human beings trying to budget in very difficult times. They are facing having to replace their cars with very expensive electric ones. They are facing having to replace their boilers with very expensive ones. Uh, and with Eulers, it was if you you know wanted to go into London, uh, then you had to, to pay extra. And if your work took you in there regularly, that was a very big cost. Uh, and the electorate and I saying, hang on, proportionality. We contribute in this country 1%, one miserable percent towards the Earth's carbon emissions. Yes. Look at what China contributes, you know, it's around 20%. Right. It's, you know, so therefore, why on earth do we have to put on a hair shirt uh, and engage in all sorts of completely disproportionate responses? when that's all we're guilty of. But surely the whole point, Anne, is that we should be the world leaders. That's what they tell us. They say whenever I ask any politician why on earth should Britain be the ones, as you say, to put on the hair shirt, they always say, well, don't you want to be the world leader? Grant Shapps once said to me, don't you want to be the world leader in onshore wind? And I said, not really. And he was so shocked that I said that because clearly nobody had ever told him that in his life. Um, he didn't really know what to say. No, I mean, the fact is what we should be world leaders in... Uh, I can sum up in two words, common sense. Right. We should be world leaders in common sense, in proportionality. We should set the tone and say, look, we contribute very, very little uh, until other countries who contribute a huge amount uh, start to put on their hair shirts. And their citizens also uh, have to face these expenses. We're not going to do it to ours. And I honestly cannot see what is wrong with that. I mean, for us, who contribute 1% towards the world's carbon emissions, for us to go in for all of this, huge net zero 
arbitrary targets program is like throwing a sugar cube into Loch Ness and saying, oh, look, yeah. I've sweetened the waters. And, and also the thing that I have trouble with is that the people who seem to be behind all of the so-called renewable energy uh, markets, the, the companies that run renewable energy uh, concerns, they're getting massive subsidies from the government, thanks to our taxes that we're being asked to pay, green taxes which are being put on top of the levy that we already pay for our energy and, you know, if you want to make money in this country, it seems to me you start up a green energy company Well, e exactly, uh, I mean you know, there, there is an immense amount of green subsidy for which uh, you and I pay uh, the other thing that really always um, gets on my nerves is when you get lectured uh, pontifically uh, by all these people who say, you know, we have a duty. And the next thing you know is, and this is politicians, celebrities alike, they're on jets going halfway across the world to discuss how they're going to save the world. Right. It is a ridiculous situation. The electorate is waking up. Uxbridge actually shows that. And Rishi Shunak would do well to take that lesson on board. He's only got about a year to go. Take that lesson on board and reflect those concerns in the next election. Yeah. And you know what? The arrogance of the, the lobby that is pushing all of this, and I named Sadiq Khan as one of the main protagonists, um, are absolutely certain that this expansion of ULEZ, which is still under um, uh, review, basically, because it's a judicial review that's going on, a court of law will decide whether or not he acted lawfully by deciding to expand it. Um, they've already got posters up everywhere saying it's going to happen uh, at the end of this month. But it may not happen because they may be told that they can't make it happen because it's illegal. Well, they're intending for it to happen at the moment, you know, and regardless of what happened in the by-election and regardless of what public opinion may be, Sadiq Khan is set uh, on his course. And indeed, I mean, it may well be that he is abruptly reversed because that's what the law says, as yeah. the government has found out with Rwanda. You know, you can't always do the thing you want to do. But what I would like to see is I, I don't just want to see the expansion of the scheme scrapped. We should be looking at the whole scheme uh, and what it's costing people and what the benefits are. Mm. And I don't think anybody's actually done a very serious uh, cost-benefit analysis. Absolutely not. And as we've seen, um, the, the sort of the love and the, the quest to buy more electric cars is actually leading us down the wrong path as well, because electric cars, it turns out, are actually more expensive now to run because of the cost of electricity. You can't actually charge them because there's not enough charging points. There is no um, infrastructure to have more electric cars than we currently have. And they're so heavy now that people are having to reconstruct bridges and car parks in order to um, accommodate them. Indeed, and you and I can remember when we were all being encouraged to buy diesel cars yes. uh, because they were more green. Uh, and now diesel cars are apparently the instrument of the devil itself uh, <laughs> when it comes to uh, green technology. Yes. Uh, and exactly the same thing is now going to go for electric cars. First of all, they're impractical. We haven't got anything like the, the charging facilities and all the rest of it that we need. Secondly, as you are now pointing out, people are stopping and thinking a bit and realising that actually they could be quite anti-green. And if we've any sense at all, we'll scrap all that rubbish about after 2030, you can't buy new petrol and diesel cars. Right. Well, it's not it's not practicable. I mean, you're basically looking at somebody, for example, who now may wish to buy a new family car. What are they supposed to do? Because we're only six years away, practically, from a diesel or a petrol car being worth nothing at all because you won't be able to resell it. Um, so it really is already having an impact on business, isn't it? Oh, I think it is beginning to have an impact. I mean, um, it, the fact is it won't be uh, unlawful uh, to drive a, a petrol or a diesel car. 
after 2030 or merely be unlawful to uh, for it to be sold. Uh, so um, I think what we will see probably is a huge boom around about, you know, 2029 when everybody decides that they better get their, their petrol cars while they can. Yes. Um, and certainly I'm one of those people who is now thinking, right, at what stage do I get my petrol car um, to see me out, if you like? Yeah, I mean, that is literally the, the, com the, the combination of things that people are going to have to weigh up. Because also, if you buy an electric car, there's also a chance. It was described to me by Howard Cox that electric cars are going to be the sort of Betamax of motor vehicles. Because pretty soon, somebody will come up with a, a new version of a hydrogen car. And those old electric cars will look very clunky indeed. And it'll look like it was an innovation from the 1970s. Yeah, I mean, Howard Cox has got a lot of sense uh, on this issue. Uh, and uh, I, I just think we now need to pause. We, we need a complete reappraisal. And the first thing we need to accept is that scientists are not always right. Um, you know, big, just before the turn uh, of this century, there was a 15-year pause in global warming that none of them predicted. They all said it was going to go on warming year on year. Now they've got all sorts of complicated excuses for why they didn't foresee it. Scientists are not always right and i think we need to keep science in proportion and make it a tool that we can use not some sort of dictator that we have to obey well i think i'm, I'm quite staggered at the numbers of people who believe everything they're told by scientists i mean look what happened during covid look at all those graphs that you know that chris witty produced and all those models that were produced by neil ferguson and sage all of which turned out to be garbage and complete rubbish and if you put in a load of facts into a computer which you've made up it will come out with a made-up uh, solution for you but it doesn't make it right it doesn't make it scientific no, and indeed, all science, when you're modelling like that, it, it works on a certain set of assumptions. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and that... Mostly that people are very the, stupid. Yeah, and you make the assumptions in the first place, which you then feed in. Mm. Exactly right. What do you make of the uh, announcement from some inside of government? I know we, we touched on this earlier. Andrew Mitchell has basically said that, you know, the government needs to consider stepping back from these net zero commitments. Is there a chance yeah. that they could do that, do you think? If they actually sense that there was a serious electoral advantage to doing it, then I think they would. And they, they will have to remember that Reform UK will go into that election uh, demanding uh, proportionality, common sense, and the abandonment of an awful lot uh, of the arbitrary targets which we've got. So they're going to have to say to themselves, well, you know, Labour will double down on Green. They'll get the Green vote. Uh, Reform UK... Uh, will talk for the for the people as far as uh, net zero is concerned. What is the Tory position going to be? Uh, and they need to start working on that right away. And I rather hope that they wake up, that they just engrave Oxbridge on every single bit of paper that they generate concerning climate change. If yep. they put Oxbridge on the top, they might remember. It might actually help them, yeah. Suddenly, when they see, when they look sort of extinction in the face, maybe they'll realise that perhaps it's something, time to change course. Stay with us, Anne, if you would. We want to talk about uh, the planning changes that the, the Tory party want to make, the fact that they want to build more houses in more cities than ever. I think it's a bad idea. This is Talk TV. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. 
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Jenny in Oxford, uh, I'm obliged to you for telling me this. She says, Mike, a Norwegian ferry company, the Norwegian shipping company Havila Christjutten, has already banned electric vehicles due to their fire risk. How long before others follow? And those with electric vehicles are banned from the tunnel and cross-channel ferries. Well, that's a very good point. Uh, there are real problems with some electric bicycles, with some electric scooters that spontaneously combust. We've seen several fires over the course of this year. Uh, and that's just another problem that electric vehicles have uh, that we haven't even been mentioned. Um, we're talking to Anne Whittacombe though, former MEP uh, of course and former Tory minister as well. Let's talk uh, Anne about um, this new planning change that the uh, Tories want to make. They say they don't want to concrete over the countryside but they do want to take over some brownfield sites, they do want to build 300,000 houses but many of them they say they want to build in the cities. Aren't the cities full enough already? Well, the cities are very full, but um, if there is uh, the ability to build in the cities, if there is space, and bearing in mind the impact it has on the infrastructure with the demand for schools and transport, etc. If all of that can be met, then, then I'm all for the policy because most of us want to see the, the countryside preserved. Yeah. But where that isn't possible, then I think the government has to bite the bullet. But the other thing we must ask is, you know, are we going to go on until the entire island is concrete over? Yeah. Or when are we going to actually start reviewing what we're doing, increasing the the population year on year through immigration and all the rest? Well, are I mean, we I think... Yeah, I mean, and, and putting to one side for the moment the illegal uh, immigration that's yeah. happening even as we speak every single day, 1.2 million people coming here in 2022 um, to study and or to work just seems like an unsustainable number. I know the net migration figure brought it down to sort of 600,000, but you're still adding basically, you know, 5 million people every 10 years at that rate. Yes, and we've also, I mean, we've had over the last few decades, we've had massive social changes. I mean, it used to be the case that families lived together. You know, you would have a grandparent or a maiden aunt or somebody living with a, 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 the nuclear family. Um, and that went and it was just the nuclear family. And now even that's broken up. Children expect to leave home and, and get their own places almost as soon as they've uh, taken off their mortarboards and, and gowns at graduation. Uh, and uh, the divorce rate is very high. So people who were living together in one house now suddenly need two houses. Uh, and so it goes on. There's there's an immense pressure on housing and the government needs to do its sums properly. And if it is going to, um, as it may have to, uh, concrete over uh, a greenfield sites, uh, then I think it needs a proper plan for doing that. It doesn't need to do it piecemeal. No, I don't think so. Uh, just as you say that, I've just got a statistic here from the Times. 46% of British children are not living with both their mother and father by the time they turn 14. That's quite a big number, isn't it? Uh, it it's enormous. And, and it's something that's, that's very, very uh, under-examined because the view is, oh, people must be allowed to do as they like, you know, and it doesn't really matter if people are splitting up and divorcing and partnering and all the rest of it, uh, repartnering, I mean. Uh, and that that somehow doesn't matter. Well, of course, it has practical uh, effects as well as emotional and moral effects. Well, of course. Uh, and uh, we shouldn't be we shouldn't be ashamed to recognise that and to say this is contributing. But, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, Peter Hitchens and I speak about this a lot. He's coming up in the next hour. You know, that, that people maintain that, you know, the kind of collapse of, of what you might call the traditional family is fine. Don't worry about it. Well, it clearly isn't fine. And it clearly has had a massive effect on our society. Uh, of course it has. And every single study that's ever been done concludes that the best of children uh, are those with uh, both parents. 
uh, in, in a long-term uh, legal commitment, which is called marriage, uh, and that those children always do better on almost any measurement that, that you care to name. Yeah. So uh, there's, there's plenty of evidence there. It isn't just a question of saying, oh, I like the traditional family. The evidence is there that that is actually the bedrock of society, and if that is intact, it eliminates an awful lot of other problems. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, the Tory party used to be the party of family values. I know that was a very long time ago, and I suspect they'll never go back to that. But it wouldn't do them a great deal of harm, would it, if they suddenly went, maybe we should be a bit more traditional, and maybe we should actually encourage people, incentivise people to be married, incentivise people, um, you know, to stay together financially? Well, one of my biggest complaints is that the... A uh, woman who chooses to stay at home and bring up her children uh, until they are independent. Mm. Uh, the woman who chooses to do that, that family lives on one income, and yet they pay taxes to subsidise the childcare arrangements for families that are living on two incomes because the woman has decided she wants to work. Now, I don't believe the state should have a view either way. Yeah. It should be neutrality between those choices which should be down to the individual. Yeah, because one of the things that they do which I think is completely out of step with reality uh, is that if you have a child that reaches the age of 18 who lives in the house with you, uh, if that child uh, reaches the age of 18 and is no longer in education, then you lose your, uh, your discount um, if you're living as a single parent uh, with the council tax, but yet the child, if he goes to work or she goes to work, isn't allowed to make the full amount of money that somebody who's 21 can make because they get paid less money on a minimum wage. So there's a sort of a disconnect going on there. There are disconnects all over the place. There are disconnects in the way that child benefit works. There are disconnects in the way the benefit system works. Uh, and there are disconnects, you've just mentioned the obvious one, uh, in, the, in the way that the council tax works. Uh, and that could all be addressed if the government was genuinely family friendly. But I don't see either major party at the moment uh, offering that as any sort of priority at all? No. And and just to cheer you up, we're going to finish up with, I don't know if you heard our story earlier about uh, the Beano. The Beano has gone woke, I'm sorry to tell you. The Bass Street kids are no more. The teachers have been reconfigured uh, to be nice people as opposed to horrible, ghastly individuals who go around, you know, hitting children with bats and slippers and all the rest of it. Uh, you're not allowed to call Fatty Fatty anymore. He's now called Freddy. And Spotty is now called Scotty. Fatty is allowed to be fat, um, but because you don't want to change anybody's shape in case that's insulting, uh, but you can't call him fatty. No, yet we have an obesity crisis in this country. We do. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the two just, just don't go together, that we have an obesity crisis, but you mustn't ever call anybody fat. No. Uh, but the idea that children's comics go woke uh, is, I think, farcical, because children actually uh, are not woke. They are the least woke. And the things that they will say in the playground, if no adult is around to rebuke them, uh, <laughs> would probably give our woke people a fainting fit. It probably would, absolutely right. But of course, they're only following the footsteps of Coots Bank. Um, uh, probably oh. the most bizarre story so far of the year, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the Coots Bank, I thank God for Nigel Farage, because you know, the banks have been doing this for a long time and nobody's actually uh, brought it out into the open. And, and thanks solely to him, You've now got the government issuing instructions uh, uh, to the banks. But I, my big criticism of what the government has done, they're absolutely right to take the banks to task, absolutely right to, to say that they'll change the law to prevent banks doing what they're doing. Fine. But why do it piecemeal? We've already got a free speech uh, law for universities. Now we're going to have one for the banks. Why do it piecemeal? 
There are businesses all over this country discriminating on the grounds of belief against employees, against customers. Why aren't they being brought under the same law? Why aren't cinemas and theatres, which cancel things they don't like, why aren't they being brought under the same law? You know, we need an overarching free speech law in this country, something that we used to take for granted, we can no longer take for granted. Therefore, we need legal protection. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Look out for Anne Whittingham's column in the Daily Express this week. Of course, former MEP and, of course, a former government minister in the Tory government, when they did have traditional values and they did think that families were important, when they did actually not hear of a word that we now use every day. Woke. This is Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Lots of you got great questions coming in, some really good tweets as well. Uh, Mike, not enough houses. Has anybody visited Warwickshire lately, says Jim? It's disappearing under a sea of concrete. Apart from HS2, many villages are now small towns. Many small towns are now big towns. We are overpopulated, but the only person ever to touch on this was Nigel Farage. Well, I talk about it an awful lot. Everywhere I go in the southeast of England, they seem to be building houses. And of course, when I tell people that, they go, oh, yeah, but they're not affordable houses. Well, if they're not affordable, why are they building them? Who's going to buy them? They're building acre after acre after acre, filling them full of houses. What they're not doing is building new hospitals. What they're not doing is building new roads. What they're not doing is building new railway networks. And what they're not doing is building any new schools or putting in any more extra GPs. And that's the problem, isn't it? 0344-499-1000. Diane in West Yorkshire and Whittacombe has always been the voice of common sense. If she was in charge uh, or the leader of any party, I would vote for it. Well, there you go. That's a good message for Anne Whittacombe. She is a very sensible woman. She does talk a great deal of common sense, which is sadly lacking uh, in this modern world in which we now live. But let's go now over to Rhodes. All the pages of the front, uh, front pages of the newspapers this morning covered uh, in very dramatic pictures of people running away from fires. Run for your lives. Brits escape inferno with seconds left, it says in the sun. Staff and guests flee the Princess Andriana Resort and Spa in Kitarian Roads as wildfires rage nearby. I've been talking uh, to people this morning and listening to an awful lot of interviews that have been done over the course of the last couple of hours. Uh, we're now going to have one ourselves from uh, George Georgiakopoulos, who's a reporter uh, based in Greece. George, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you very much for joining us. I realise it's probably a very busy time for you guys. Um, how are things in roads at the moment. Um, is it the case that, um, you know, the fires are still burning? Are the, are the authorities getting to grips with it? Uh, it's still very grim. I mean, uh, you say, you're saying that English villages are disappearing in concrete. Uh, roads villages are disappearing in smoke. Right. Uh, it looks like the flames are raging for a seventh day in a row. Mm. And uh, even though there had been some respite in, over the morning hours of um, Monday, um, in the last uh, couple of hours, we, we're getting um, reports of more um, un uncontrolled flames, uh, this time around the um, uh, central roads village of uh, Asclepio, and uh, that has been evacuated. Uh, two more villages have also been evacuated. The um, flames have been consuming uh, houses uh, on those villages over the last few minutes and uh, it looks like there's no end to it. Mm. I mean, it really is sad to see. I, I know roads a little bit and, and it's obviously a very um, beautiful place. It's got lots of um, brush that, that could easily go up on in flames, I suppose. But, but a lot of people rely on the tourist trade and a lot of people rely on, on the year-round tourist trade, really. I mean, this can't be doing any good for that. 
Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's um, devastating for roads people, for the roads economy, and uh, above all for those uh, villagers who see their properties uh, uh, destroyed by the fire, mm. uh, as well as uh, tourists who have been uh, not just foreign tourists, but also Greek tourists yeah. who visit this Emerald Island, as we call it, right. uh, that uh, has turned black. Yes, it really is a shame. And, and as far as we know, um, it's a, it's, I was listening to the, um, the tourism minister talking uh, this morning on another station and she was saying that, you know, it's not 50% of the island that's on fire, it's only 10% of the island, but still that's pretty devastating uh, size, isn't it? 10, 10% of, of such a big island is huge. Uh, and uh, obviously this is uh, the, most, uh, uh, the best preserved part of the island, the, the most unspoiled part of the island, which is also very important, uh, not just for tourists, but also for the environmental situation uh, of, the, of, of roads. Uh, it, it may have not touched the, the main settlements of, uh, of roads, Roadstown and uh, Lindos uh, as, as yet, but it has uh, uh, destroyed a significant part of, uh, of the forest that is the, the, uh, the way people breathe on, those, on that island. It's a shame because it also gives negative publicity to a beautiful island that will be very hard to forget. Yes, of course. And what's the status at the airport at the moment? Because we know a couple of days ago um, some flights were not taking more tourists out to roads. I don't know if that started again, but, but certainly the airport is still open, we understand. Absolutely, not just open, it's very, very busy because uh, first uh, you get extra flights coming over in order to uh, take uh, tourists home. Uh, and second, because there has been uh, a hotspot uh, uh, created at the uh, terminal building in order to deal with all the um, tourists uh, or uh, Greek uh, visitors uh, who have lost their travel documents, they've lost their passports, they've lost their IDs, they've lost their tickets and uh, or other personal uh, uh, items. Right. And th 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 there is a bureaucratic situation uh, set up over there that's, uh, that may take some time, but uh, at least it, it gets the situation uh, dealt with. Right. And as far as the actual resorts are concerned, where people left, where people actually went uh, uh, to stay but have now evacuated, are they, are they burning? Are the actual resorts uh, damaged? There, yes, yes, there has been damage to several hotels, uh, not, not, not to a dramatic uh, degree, but at least uh, as far as we know so far, uh, because it's impossible to know the uh, exact extent of the damage as yet. It looks like that uh, several hotel units have uh, suffered from the flames. And uh, in general, it, it's, it is very dangerous to approach these areas, not just for tourists, but also for the employees and the owners of those facilities in order to measure the actual damage uh, that, that has been inflicted on the area. Right. And what about things like insurance and for people uh, who live there? Have they got insurance against this kind of fire or, or is it something that's going to be a problem going forward? Uh, People on the island, uh, I'm afraid, uh, do not have this mentality that uh, people on the mainland to a greater extent have of insuring their, their property. Having said that, the owners of uh, tourism accommodation obviously have got everything insured as far as we know. And uh, in most cases, uh, uh, the insurance compensation comes fairly fast. So it's not really a problem for them in, in that sense. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. 
You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. It's only a matter of time though, for them to get their compensation. Right. And as far as what happens over the next few days, uh, the fire crews must be exhausted. People must be very tired from, from battling these fires. Is there any hope that it will all stop soon? Well, uh, we have to wait for the weather forecast, really, because they said that Tuesday and Wednesday should not have uh, as strong winds as they are today. So uh, the fact that uh, we've got other forest fires uh, raging across the country, including Corfu, uh, means that the Greek resources are stretched to their limit or beyond that. I mean, for example, in, uh, on roads, uh, be, beyond the, besides the Greek um, aircraft, uh, firefighting aircraft, we've also got help from Turkish aircraft, from Croatian aircraft, and uh, th- there is also reports of Egyptian aircraft. Uh, firefighting aircraft coming over right so it's all 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 around it's a bad situation what are are you hearing about the stories we're hearing that that might have been started some of these fires might have been started by uh by arsonists by people i'm afraid that that's a story that uh has been uh, repeated on several occasions in greece and several wildfires yes there has been somebody who has been arrested uh for starting a fire there has also been a report about uh there's also been a video uh, by a volunteer, a, a volunteer firefighter uh, who has seen uh, a fire starting out of nowhere, right. uh, nowhere near the active front. And so it's particularly suspicious, especially uh, given that th- uh, this is exactly the um, uh, 24 hours between mid, uh, the, the, uh, noon of Sunday and noon today that uh, the authorities had asked everybody to be particularly cautious in order to avoid any new forest fires. Right. That's really sad, isn't it, if it does turn out to have been started deliberately, because it's so damaging. It's going to cost so much money to everybody who lives there. Um, People's homes have been burnt out, you know, resorts completely, you know, not able to operate any longer. Um, what's, What's the government saying to people who might have booked a holiday in Rhodes? What are they saying? Are they saying still come? They are saying, yes, they do. Uh, they, they, can't do they can't do otherwise. I mean, um, it may sound different in your independent republic, Mike, but <laughs> in this republic, uh, we rely on tourism so much yes. that we cannot afford to tell people to stay away from uh, roads. In fact, most of the facilities of the island are intact. Right. And um, 
there is also the argument of the uh, of the local people who are saying that it is now that we need the extra revenue yes. from more tourists in order to uh, pick ourselves up, to stand on our own two feet sure. and uh, rebuild. Well, my independent republic is nice, but it's not as nice as Rhodes. The weather is not as good. It's raining, unfortunately, here. Um, is it particularly hot this year? People are saying as well, oh, it's much hotter than normal. Is it? It's never been hotter. Uh, yesterday, uh, temperatures reached, reached 45 degrees centigrade. Uh, and uh, there's a fear that on Wednesday it, it might even surpass that. But it's not just the peak of the heat wave, it's also its uh, duration. We've had over two weeks of uh, temperatures above 38 degrees, which is hot even by Greek standards. Yeah. OK. Well, listen, I wish you all the best and thank you so much for talking to us, George. George, George Kapopoulos there, uh, talking to us from Rhodes, where, uh, of course, the, the, the land is on fire, as you can see in the pictures. Uh, much of it, though, uh, clearly started deliberately, I'm afraid, which is terrible news uh, for the people who are living there. Uh, if you are heading out there, or if you are there listening to us right now, by all means, give us a call. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number. This is Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've got plenty of calls to take. We will get to you all. Uh, lots of you want to talk about the situation in uh, roads. Lots of you want to talk about the situation uh, in your own hometown with potholes because more and more cars are getting more and more wrecked by more and more potholes. Uh, a record number, in fact, uh, since the beginning of time. Uh, the RSC have had more call-outs than ever uh, during a period from May to June of this year. We'll come back to that in a moment because right now we want to talk about banking once again with Sarah Fillimore, a uh, barrister with the Fair law group of course because uh, in the telegraph today high street's biggest banks snoop on your social media this is now becoming a thing we were just talking to peter hitchens about it um about how twitter has now become something that uh, both perhaps employers use perhaps government individuals use agencies use who knows if uh, um, unemployment agencies use it but certainly banks are now admitting that they look at your social media output to see whether or not you are a suitable customer. It doesn't sound right to me. Sarah, a very good morning to you. Good morning. So this was really quite a revelation when Nigel Farage blew the gaff on uh, on Coots. But but perhaps even worse now is, is uh, what we're learning about who else is doing it. Well, it's every bit as horrible as I feared it would be. It's a shock, but not a surprise. Yeah. It just shows how firmly this is now embedded in our national culture that some people feel they have the right to determine what other people think and say, even when what those people are thinking and saying is perfectly lawful and in some cases protected. Mm. I was just reminded that in February um, 2021, um, Paul Embry took the Fire Brigades Union to court and it was established in that employment tribunal that his belief in national independence was a protected belief. Mm. I mean, we can now see quite clearly that Nigel Farage was not debanked because he was too poor or that he was a politically exposed person because both of those reasons were not feature, featuring in the discussions about debanking him. Right. He was debanked because his views did not align with the values of the bank. But So here we have quite an essential service determining what lawful things people may do and say and it, it can't be right. It shouldn't even need this discussion or any explanation. And I'm really glad to see that the city minister is writing to the banks, expressing concern. And there's going to be some change 
to the amount of time, the notice that banks have to give, that they're going to have to give a clear explanation so that people can challenge it. And there may also be implications for them continuing to have a banking license if they're not going to treat their customers fairly. So in a way, it's really good. It's happened and it happened to somebody as high profile as Nigel Farage. So now we can all talk about it. Well, I mean, I'm hoping that that's going to be the case. But there are some who are not quite as confident as you that that's going to happen, you know, because government do an awful lot of talking about what they're going to do. But then they don't always do what they say they're going to do. And Peter Hitchens was just here talking about this subject. And he said, I wonder if in three years time we'll be saying, actually, um, it's as bad as it's ever been. um, And nobody really ever stopped doing it. No, I've got no confidence in the confidence in the politicians at all. That's why I'm part of the Fair Cop group. That's why I'm one of a, num- a rising number of citizen activists who are having to take the state to court to hold them to account. We shouldn't have to be doing this. Right. It's incredibly stressful, even though we can raise money via crowdfunding. I mean, it cost Harry Miller a lot of money to fight and win against Humberside and the College of Policing. He did. He established um, a a very compelling precedent judgment in the Court of Appeal. It was worth every penny. But no, we can't trust the politicians because, unfortunately, a lot of them are also captured. So it's down to us now. It does seem, thankfully, that most of the judges and the courts aren't captured yet. I think we have about another 10 years before the current generation of judges retire and the new generation move in. And and that is quite a frightening prospect because they will have been very... um, uh, marinated in this idea that there is only one acceptable way of thinking about life and people who don't follow that view must be depersoned because that's effectively what debanking is doing it's an essential service you don't have a bank account it is very 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 difficult to operate in a modern society so this is the whole point it's about making you a non-human because you have the temerity to hold a view with which the people in charge disagree Now, that's catastrophic, not just for the individual who is dehumanised, but for the whole of society and democracy. So no, I'm not naive. I'm not putting any faith in politicians. It's great that some of them are making the right noises, but I'm afraid it's probably going to have to be down to us again to take these institutions to court and hit them where it hurts in terms of damages and court orders which show that what they've done is wrong and lawful. And one of the things that I was alarmed by as well when I was talking to Peter earlier about this was the numbers of people who seemed to think that it was all right. You know, the numbers of people on, albeit social media, which is not a great measurement of sense in any way, shape or form, but an awful lot of people, just because they didn't like Nigel Farage, decided that actually Coots were quite uh, uh, in the right and and they'd done the right thing. Oh, look, I don't particularly like Nigel Farage. I've never met him, but I'm a Remainer. I think leaving the European Union was terrible, catastrophic and awful. But Nigel Farage has the right to hold a different view. Not only that, the majority of people who voted about Brexit voted to leave. Yeah. I have to respect that. I can't stomp around going, well, my view's better than yours. Yes. Uh, you're not allowed to have your view. I'm really sad that we left, but we did. And the majority of people voted, said it's what they wanted. So it's not only a lawful view, it's a protected view. But of course, if if he has been denied it. But the the bank, Coates Bank, called it a controversial view, which it clearly isn't. These are the, the weasel words, controversial, problematic, just be kind. These are words which have been hijacked. Um, as a way to try and put a gloss over what is happening, which is authoritarian repression. It sounds a lot better, doesn't it, if you can say your opponent is problematic or controversial. 
I mean, yep, some people think he is, but the majority of people in the country who voted support what he says. So what are the banks saying? That the majority of people in this country can't have an account with them because they don't like their views. And I wonder if Coots is going to hold some sort of inquiry into the accounts of some of its clients who must owe a lot of their money to, say, involvement with the slave trade. So what's going to happen there? Where does this begin and where does it end? If your grandfather was a bit of a racist, does that trickle down the generations and taint you? The whole thing is nonsense. The only way that we can be constrained in what we say and what we do is by the law, not by a group of banking executives getting together and calling Nigel Farage a racist Mm. and someone they don't like. Because where is this going to go? You've got to be pretty confident you're always going to be on the right side of these people, don't you? Well, exactly. And nobody can say what that right side will be. Because, as you say, if you allow one uh, to slip through the net, then the next one could be any number of things. You know, you don't support the right football team. The pendulum will swing and it will be somebody like me who's a Remainer who will be harassed and pursued and insulted and denigrated. I don't want that. I want to be able to have my views. I want Nigel Farage to be able to have his views. And I want us both to have a bank account. This is not the business of the banks or any of these institutions which are waggling their fingers, being morally censorious and stripping us stripping us of our basic rights. Yeah. And you talk about people looking at our Twitter feed. It's entirely because of my social media presence that I was unlawfully investigated by the police and my own regulator. This went on for three years. I had to raise £50,000 by way of crowdfunding for the police to eventually concede that what they did was wrong. Mm. So, Was it, it also, did, did they admit that it was unlawful as well? Oh, I'm not sure we had a very full-on admission. They said, well, we were <laughs> acting on what we thought was the best advice of the time. Right. But that advice was unlawful. Mm. They wasted time and money and put me through great emotional stress. And I didn't even have it that bad. Right. I didn't end up losing my job. There were concentrated efforts to remove my livelihood, even my liberty, and destroy my reputation because I have views about gender identity that some people yeah. in positions of power and influence don't like. And my message to them is tough. Suck it up. Yes. If you cannot abide a plurality of views, you are not permitted to function in this society because we will not tolerate that kind of intolerance. And so, so if you for, want, if you, sorry, Sarah, for, sorry. For, for people who have been affected by this, individuals who might not be um, very high profile, but who for some reason or other have had their bank cancel them, um, are they able to get in touch with with your group? Is is there something they can do, or something, or they should do with the bank? I mean, is there ever going to be a law which comes in which says that all individuals have a right to a bank account? And you cannot take that right away, and they may well be protected in some way, shape, or form. Unless and until we can rely on politicians to actually get the laws in place, we're mm. going to have to do it ourselves. FairCop is more looking at um, examples of police misconduct, but I know the Free Speech Union, who I think were probably one of the first victims of this, Mm. and that their PayPal account was removed without explanation. They had to use their friends in high places to to get a conversation going. They're very invested in this, and I know they've set up a series of frequently asked questions. If you go to their website, um, they've already set out help for the individuals who are caught up in this. I mean, maybe it needs a massive class action. Who knows? But you cannot say, oh, well, I'm a private bank. I can do what I like. No, you can't. You operate in this country under a banking license, which is given to you. You've got to abide by that. Principle six, I note, of the relevant um, ethics is that you treat customers fairly. 
It is not treating them fairly by any shadow of a doubt to penalise them for holding views that you don't like. Yeah. Tough. Yeah. But this is the world. You have to rub up against people with views you find horrible unless they cross the line into actual criminality or unlawful discrimination. You have to not merely accept them, but allow them. Yeah, I mean, you can even have views which are unlawful. Uh, you just have to be punished for them by means of the law. But that's that. Yeah. Uh, we've got to run. Sarah, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Sarah Fillmore, a barrister with the Fair Law Group. Shocking state of affairs, this. You know, American Express, uh, we've got Lloyds Bank Group, we've got NatWest. They're all admitting to poking about inside people's social media to see what sorts of things they might be saying. But they claim they only do it if someone complains about you. Well, that's right because people complain about me every single hour of every single day. Marvellous, isn't it? This is Talk TV. Fast Talk. Street Talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk. Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Nationwide. By your side. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Kieran in Bucks says this, this pathetic woke weak government has been napping at the wheel for years. The list of failures is endless. The account cancellation happened under the Tories. Tories by name only. They are a pure reactionary government and have not one clue what's been happening under their noses. Totally bananas. Get rid. Is it time for reform? Question mark. Take care, says Kieran. Well, I mean, there's an awful lot of people who are saying that they will vote reform. Reform did okay uh, in what you... What what you might describe the two by-elections that they entered into. They didn't enter into the one uh, in Uxbridge because they decided to let, I think, Reclaim have a go at that. Uh, but certainly from what happened at that election where the Tories held on to Uxbridge, it became very clear and very obvious that basically the reason why people didn't vote Labour in was because they don't trust them on ULEZ. And we're going to be talking to the London mayoral candidate for the Tory party, Susan Hall, uh, coming up very, very shortly. A couple of pieces of breaking news for you uh, before that. We've already told you um, about Greta Thunberg being fined uh, over in Sweden for taking part in a uh, demonstration that she was told to leave. And when she didn't leave, uh, she's now been charged and fined uh, for disobeying a police order. Uh, but in more sad news, George Alagai, the BBC newsreader, has died at the age of 67 after a battle uh, of fighting bowel cancer. He's been diagnosed with that since 2014. Um, uh, he's managed to sort of bravely carry on uh, without any fear or favour, very bravely actually continuing to work. Um, and he was a fixture on BBC uh, News for a long time, more than three decades. He was an award-winning foreign correspondent, reporting from countries like Rwanda um, and Iraq. And he won awards for various reports from Somalia in the early 1990s. So uh, very sad news, condolences to George's family. All those people who knew him uh, said he was a, a great guy. So George Alagaya um, sadly died at the age of 67 from bowel cancer. Um, let's talk to Susan Hall, uh, who's running for mayor right now in this uh, great city of ours, a city which has been ruined, some would say, by Sadiq Khan. Uh, and some people think it's time for his time to be up. Susan, a very good uh, afternoon to you. Welcome. Hello, how are you? Very well. I think this is the first time we've spoken since you won the nomination. So congratulations are in order. Well done. Um, and uh, what an interesting time to be running for mayor, given what happened in Uxbridge, given what uh, Sadiq Khan's trying to do with the expansion of the ULEZ. And I was quite shocked. I was driving into London last night on the A2. And just as you come off uh, for Blackheath, you'll know the turning. 
Um, there's a great big poster there saying that the uh, ULA zone is expanding uh, at the end of July. They don't seem to have thought about what might happen if uh, there's a judicial review against it happening. I don't think it'll make any difference, to be honest, Mike. I think he's determined to do it. Won't listen to Londoners at all. I doubt that he'll listen to Keir Starmer. I mean, his, his MPs must have been telling him for ages that this is going down very badly on the doorstep. Yeah. I mean, I've been knocking on doors. As for my emails, you should see some of the stories people are telling me of the hardship that this is going to cost. But of course, Sadiq Khan doesn't care. He'll just carry on doing what he wants to do. Well, I mean, I think he actually issued a statement uh, after the by-election where he said he would continue to do uh, what he was doing because that was all about the health of Londoners. And you have to say, well, hang on a minute, you're not actually making the air any cleaner. You just want to charge people for making it dirty. Yeah, apparently they reckon the first year will get, uh, they'll get £200 million from it. I mean, all this is is a tax grab. His own, he had an impact assessment done that was paid for by TfL and it made it absolutely clear it would make virtually no difference whatsoever. And yet he's still going ahead with it. Yeah, incredible, isn't it? And so as far as your fight against him is concerned, what are your, what are your sort of main um, proposals? What are you going to be telling Londoners that they should want from you? OK, I, I mean, I'm really serious about winning and I think we can. I mean... Obviously, I would stop the EULA's expansion on day one. I promise that. That would happen straight away. Um, my thrust of the main campaign will be around policing. Nobody is feeling safe anymore, and we really need to address that. Um, I will work with anybody, and I will listen to all Londoners. Um, I haven't done a full manifesto yet, but I will do. But it will be shaped around what people are telling me, and not just Tory members, members of the public who do or don't vote for anybody. I, I just need to listen to Londoners to yeah. see what people want. I mean, I don't know anyone uh, who I know that lives in the sort of outer boroughs and, and the currently outside of the ULO zone who is in favour of ULOs being brought in. I just don't know anyone who wants it. No, and I've knocked on all the doors in my high street, Hatch End High Street, and the, the businesses are so fearful of what's going to happen, especially if you've got a business that's right on the outskirts of London. People are not going to come just across the border to pay £12.50 for a newspaper or to get their nails done or well, whatever they do. They'll go somewhere else. And we won't be able to get our tradesmen in either with the, with the white vans that don't comply. Right. Uh, why on earth would they pay an extra £12.50 when I'm sure they can get business outside of London? This will affect so many people, whether they've got a compliant car themselves or not. It will affect everybody. But Khan is just not listening. Yeah, he really doesn't want to listen. Is it a case, do you think, of him having been in for so long, which does tend to happen sometimes with politicians, that he thinks he knows best and he's not really even interested in what people say anymore? Well, I'd argue the fact that he's only ever thought that, to be honest with you. But, I mean, it's, it's really evident now. If you look, I mean, obviously, during the last couple of months, people are saying, well, what has he done that is good? And, of course, you're hard-pressed to find anything. The police are under special measures. The fire brigade is under special measures. Uh, I mean, the streets, you know full well, because you often report on it, mm. the streets are gridlocked because of these awful LTNs everywhere yeah. that that Londoners also want removed. Um, I would stop ULEs on day one. I've always said that. I will do that. But there are lots of other things going wrong in London. I mean, most people know Sadiq Khan has got to be removed. And I mean, what what the hell is he going to be able to campaign on? to be honest, because he's kind of run through the card of what he can do. 
Um, he hasn't really got anything popular to sell anybody, has he? No. Well, we'll, we'll wait and see, won't we? But um, I certainly hope that I'm in with a good chance to be put in there as mayor, and I promise I will listen to what Londoners want. Yes. At the moment, he just imposes what he thinks he will do, and it's not working. It's really not working. It really isn't. Um, there is one thing that apparently he's pushing for, and I want you to have a look at this clip. We've got Romesh Ranganathan, uh, who calls himself a comedian, who's been sort of uh, joined up with Sadiq Khan uh, to campaign with TFL, Transport for London, against sexual violence. Let's have a look at this. I think men need to call out other men for shit. Does anybody agree with me on that? I, 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 just, think, I just think men don't call out another, other men for shit enough. Do you know what I mean? But I'm talking about calling your mates out for being pricks. Do you know what I mean? I just think that needs to happen a bit more. I mean, it, it can be normal stuff. I mean, sometimes you call your mates out for stuff that's, like, trivial. Do you know what I mean? Like, and all it needs is, like, a mate. That's all it needs. I think you should weaponise that and use it on people. I also think sometimes we are guilty of not calling our mates out when they do awful shit. Like, you know, I think we've got ourselves into a situation where somebody might be talking to a woman and they say something inappropriate and we don't call it out enough. So, for example, you know, just going, mate, saying that is rank. Or, mate... Yeah, mate, um, apologies if any of you were offended by some of the language there. But, you know, the message clearly is that, uh, you know, we're all horrible people and, you know, we need to call each other out for things that we do which are horrible. Um, not, the not the greatest message of all time, is it? Well, I wouldn't have thought so, no. I really mm. wouldn't. I mean, he's a good comedian, but... Is he? Not, this is not a very funny subject. I mean, I, I don't know when comedy suddenly became campaigning, but... Um, you know, it's not. I don't think it's particularly clever to make out that uh, that people like him know better than everybody else how we should all be behaving. And it's not. It's probably not the most important thing in everybody's life. I mean, I go in the underground now, and I'm bombarded with messages about uh, how you're not supposed to be touching people, how you're not supposed to be staring at people. You know, all pretty obvious things that I don't think we need telling, do we? Well, um, I, I have my views, but I hadn't seen it before just now. But I mean, for goodness' sake. I mean, he needs to get, he really needs to sort policing out in London in general. Yeah. Um, this probably is just another one of his gimmicks. Really yeah, I mean, we saw another one of those robberies the other day, which probably happens a lot more than we know. It happened to be Alan Jones, so we knew that it happened because he's a celebrity. But, you know, some guy approaches you with a machete and demands your, 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 uh, your watch. You're probably going to give it to him. Yeah, so that's right. Actually, Sarah Vine's written a really good article in the paper as well about when her son was uh, mugged in this way. I think it happens far more than we are aware of. Yeah. We need to sort the streets out. These these so-called villains are, are just roaming around, causing absolute havoc and making most of us feel very unsafe. Yes. And, and, and I mean, there's no question, is there, that the streets now are very much more kind of menacing than they ever were. And I've said this before, but it kind of reminds me of how New York became in the 80s. It was kind of lawless. Under David Dinkins, he was a mayor. He was a Democrat mayor. And he just didn't know really how to solve the problem. And then Rudolph Giuliani came in and solved it literally at a stroke because he just knew how to clamp down on, on the crime. Yeah, broken windows, the um, theory and all the rest of right. it. Really did. He cleaned up New York. And that's, I'm afraid, the state we're getting into in London. And I want to come in and clean it up. Mm. You start by listening to what Londoners want. And I assure you, going back to the ULEs, Londoners do not want the extended ULEs. And he will not listen. No, he just won't. I mean, there's a real problem with, with, with these kinds of uh, people. Also, you and I have mentioned this many times before. One of the things that I find extraordinary is that he's moved willy-nilly the London Assembly out to Stratford 
which is not where it's meant to be. It's meant to be in the, Lon- in the London Assembly building, which was built specifically for the London Assembly. I mean, would you move back there? Uh, it would depend on finances, of course. I mean, we don't own the building, so mm. one would have to discuss it with the owners. But, I mean, since we've moved out there, people don't come out and see us. We used to see Londoners all the time in our offices. We don't have specific offices, the Assembly members. But it's the journey out there. Nobody wants to make the journey. He apparently doesn't like the old city hall building. I mean, it's iconic, but, I mean, typical of Khan. He pulls down our statues. He renames our roads. He doesn't love London. I love London, and I actually like the old building. It was built for us, and that's where we yeah. should Well, also, you can't, it's not a great advert for the city, is it, to have a sort of building sitting empty, completely covered in almost dust and, and grime because they can't afford to clean it, which is one of the reasons they say they moved. But surely something has to happen to it. It either has to be recommissioned as an office building or it has to be used, turned into a hotel. Some, you know, it can't just sit there empty, can it? It's very sad. Um, obviously, uh, it's a, a conversation to be had with the owners. Um, but a lot depends on finance because we've got to sort the finances out as well. Despite the fact that he's got a £21 billion budget, mm. um, we, we've got a police service that needs more money. I've found £200 million that I would put in uh, to bolster up neighbourhood-type policing. Um, you know, when you look at things, you there's so much that needs to be done. Uh, that's just something that would need to be looked at. Yes. And as far as the um, uh, the situation with ULEZ is concerned, I mean, 224 million, I think, was collected um, from ULEZ in 2022, the current uh, ULEZ. I mean, obviously, TfL must be heavily reliant on that kind of money. But would you ever consider just doing away with it altogether, everywhere? Um, people that live in the the original ULEZ seem to like it. And it, and it did clean up the air there. Um, but it was never intended to go right the way across London. And we see what Angela Rayner said um, yesterday. It looks like Labour would put it in everywhere. So beware, everybody, of what you think. The other aspect to this, of course, is that Sadiq Khan is looking at pay per mile in London. Yeah. Um, You know, if people keep voting for these Labour um, mayors or MPs, this is what they're going to get going forward. Yeah, I'm afraid so. Well, we'll wish you luck, Susan. Um, Are there any debates in the offing that you might be taking part in, or is it too soon to say? I'm very happy to debate with anybody, as you well know, Mike. <laughs> Absolutely right. Well, we'll see if we can organise one. Uh, I don't think Sadiq Khan's talking to us at the moment. Uh, we do keep asking him to come on the show, but of course, uh, he doesn't even answer our calls anymore. But there we are. Susan Hall, uh, ca- candidate uh, for the London Mayor's Office. Let's hope uh, that she can manage to dislodge Sadiq Khan, who's done so much harm uh, to this city and who never, ever appears on my show, despite the number of times we've asked him. Uh, he just doesn't want to do it. I wonder why that is. He's quite keen to go on another show, but not this one. This is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.